please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day, for your holy and life-giving presence. Lord God, thank you for blessing us with this day in our history and this day in our present, where we can gather together as families and give thanks to you. Lord God, we know that this is not an easy day for all people. For some, it's a day where they remember how lonely they are, Lord, or those who have um, gone before them into glory. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give peace. That you give peace on this Thanksgiving Day and give us all the ability to remember what we are thankful for. And Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct this sermon and guide and direct our worship of you, that we might come into your very throne room and see you face to face. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's so great to see you all today. How's everyone doing? Good? All right, pretty quiet out there, though. All right. Well, um, we're here for Thanksgiving, right? Nobody thought this was Christmas, did they? No, it's Thanksgiving Day. And uh, Thanksgiving Day has been official for a while as an official celebration day, but the act of Thanksgiving in the fall is, do you think that's a new thing that happened when the pilgrims came to the United States? No, not at all. I mean, this is something that was written into uh, the celebration of the Jewish people long, long before that. They gave thanks to God for the harvest, for his provision, for his deliverance of them. And even before that was written into their code, like the human response of thanksgiving to God has been there long, long, for, for many, many millennia. It's a natural thing to give thanks to God for what he has provided. Now, for us in our history, we remember a meal, right? A meal between the pilgrims and the Wampanoag people early in the 1620s, right? And that is the day that we set as our first Thanksgiving, that day of remembrance, where the pilgrims remembered how much God had done for them, how he had given them this new land, and he had delivered them in safety to it. And it provided for them this relationship with this uh, tribe of Native Americans as well. Now we began, uh, well, right before I preached, we had this, the hymn that sang, We plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the land, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. Right, and this hymn, in such beautiful words, reminds us of the reality of things, which is what the pilgrims were celebrating that day. Is that no matter how much we try and do, we might plow, we might scatter, we might fertilize, we might try to keep away the things that would eat up our seed, that it is ultimately God, God who is the one who provides the growth. No matter how much we might want to, you and I, we can't make the the crops grow, can we? Can you? No, you can't. Unless you have some superpower. Right? It is God who brings growth. We can provide what we think are the best conditions for that. Right? We can plant things in a greenhouse where they're safe. We can provide, we can make sure our seeds are good and fresh, that they've been stored in the right manner. We can give them what we think is the right amount of water and nutrients. But ultimately, it's God that gives the growth. He is the one that causes that seed to start and to grow and to burst from, forth from the soil. It is God's work alone that does this. Even in this modern day and age when so much is controlled in our world, we realize that it is God 
God who does this work alone. Now, in our passage from Joel, we're reminded of the grace of God that he gives us every year at the harvest. Right? You see, Israel had suffered under the hand of the Lord. They had experienced a massive catastrophe. There had been a swarm of locusts. Anyone ever seen a swarm of locusts before? No, me neither. But it seems it looks pretty intense with the things I've seen on TV about it. And these swarm of locusts had destroyed everything. They destroyed everything. All of the crops had been gobbled up by this army of locusts. And it had caused a total collapse for the food system. The people, uh, the reason this had happened is because the people had forgotten the Lord. And this judgment was to be a reminder to them to turn back, to turn back to God, to remember the God who delivers them and to put their faith in him. Now, in our passage from Joel, we're at the good part of the letter. And we have the promise here of restoration. God is going to turn that all around for the Israelites. He is going to take all that destruction and replace it with life. He is going to take what has been destroyed and he is going to make it new. Our passage tells us, do not fear, O soil, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, you animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. This promise of fullness, this promise of provision, this promise of restoration is God's word to the Israelites. He will make all things new. In particular, in this passage, uh, it's easy to pass right by it because it doesn't seem very significant in our English translation. But the passage says, uh, the Lord will, um, the wilderness, the pastors of the wilderness are green. The verb that's found there, that's translated as are green, is only found in one other place in the scriptures. And that other place is in Genesis 1, chapter 11. Anyone remember what was happening in Genesis 1, chapter 11? The creation. The Garden of Eden was being spoken of. Genesis 1, 11. It was a promise of perfection and wholeness. It reminds us of God's creation. And this was supposed to bring, hearken the Israelites back. That this wasn't just God was going to make things good again. But that there would be something of the original creation in this act of restoration. That it would be new that it would be fresh as on the first morning. And that promise was for Israel, that they were to hold to. In the midst of so much loss and so much grief, things would be made new. Indeed, we hear, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. The Lord was going to take what had been lost and restore it. There would be what is called redemption, 
redemption. God was going to restore what had been destroyed. Now, our passage closes with a promise. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. My people shall never again be put to shame. What a wonderful hope this is. What a wonderful hope this is. Because if you're anything like me, you know what shame is. Right? If you're anything like me, shame is not uh, something that we look back on our life and say, oh yeah, I remember in middle school when I was shamed. Right? But shame is something maybe we live with day to day, moment to moment. Realizing our thoughts, our actions, our words are not consistent with what the Lord calls us to. The promise here that the people, God's people would never again be put to shame. This promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who was shamed on our behalf and offers us his honor. So despite the fact that I feel shame for my actions, for my words, for my thoughts, the Lord Jesus Christ has swallowed my shame and he has swallowed yours as well. And his work on the cross has erased that. This promise that was written for Israel so many years ago is fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ and is given to us. The Lord who restores all things, who redeems all things, who takes the years that the locust has eaten and gives us new life in return. You might feel that this last year or through maybe your whole life, there have been years that the locust has eaten. In Jesus Christ, those things can be renewed and he can take our shame and give us new life and restoration. This day we remember the Lord and his gifts for us. It's a beautiful thing that we have this in our national calendar, a day to stop and to remember how much has been provided for us. It also is a day to remember how little control we actually have in this world. Right? Despite all our technology, despite all our abilities, you and I still can't make the simplest thing happen. We can't make a plant grow, something that happens all around us all the time. And yet the Lord can. So let us remember that all things are in his hands. All things belong to him, and he cares for all things. And may this song stick in our head. We plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the land, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. That is true for the fields, and that is true for us as well. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for this day of remembrance, this day of uh, giving thanks to you and praising you for your uh, good work in this world and your restoration and transformation in our lives. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be thankful people. People who remember you, who remember your good work, and who give praise to you for it. And we pray, Lord God, that you would uh, help us to pause today. Help us to pause and to give thanks to you. Thank you, Lord God, for swallowing our shame. 
Thank you for taking the years the locust has eaten and restoring those, Lord. And we pray that you would give us the faith to trust in you and to give thanks to you and have our hearts um, properly oriented today and for the days to come. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.